Lord Jesus, as we hear the words of this prayer of yours from all those years ago, may you open our hearts to the truth you want to teach us, that we might respond and indeed share your glory to the glory of your name. Amen. So John is a very stylized writer. Um, just to brag a little bit about my incredibly uh, high level of training, I, um, I learnt New Testament Greek several times and um, when you read through the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all have a fairly similar style of fairly basic kind of Greek. And when you get to John, it's different. It's more poetic. It's uh, more stylized. And there's some beautiful words and beautiful concepts in there, but if you're a little bit like me, you can get a bit lost in the, the wonder of the flow of the words and he repeats things and sort of theme and variation and all this sort of stuff going on. So let's see how we go at getting to what uh, Jesus was saying through these words that John recorded. Jesus clearly has in mind the future of those who respond to his message. Even as he faces his death, because this is a section of uh, teaching and prayer that happened the night before he was betrayed and he knew he was about to die, and even so he's thinking into the future. And one of the things that he knows will be most powerful in getting the message across will be the unity of his followers. Unity has a very central place in Jesus' teaching and his belief about the body of Christ. Unity is one of those supernatural things. When we get people together, we're not naturally unified. We might help each other out a little bit because that's good for us. That's our more natural state. We, we're kind of uh, utilitarian. We kind of know we need each other a certain, to a certain extent, so we'll do what we need to do to keep each other going so that you can keep me going and that kind of thing. But unity is something a bit more than that. I mean, you can have people together uh, doing stuff together and not have unity. Take any political party as an example, where there's even a shared ideology, but within that party you can have all sorts of disunity going on because people are jostling for positions. Their agenda is not necessarily for the good of the whole. They're finding their place and using the whole for their own purposes. So unity is different from just being together and working together. What does unity look like? It's not about being all the same. In fact, being all the same is probably a recipe for disunity because once we think we're all the same, we then feel this need to differentiate ourselves from each other and that will split us apart. You often see that, uh, again, in political parties. You see it in families sometimes. You see it in all sorts of situations where people feel like just one of the crowd and so they have to do something to show they're not just one of the crowd. Our sameness can actually create rivalries and petty jealousies because we have too much in common almost. True unity is about self-giving. 
true unity actually transforms us in the process of it occurring and transforms the other person or other people in the process of it occurring. It's not simply a matter of getting on. True unity is a responsiveness to the other people in the group. So if there's a need in the group, you respond. If there's a strength in the group, you make space for that. It's not about one person shining and others gathering around that one person. It's about the body, the whole group, doing as well as it can together. Unity in Christ means that Christ is our model for that unity. So we look at the way Jesus related to people and he always had their best interests at heart. He didn't do the things he did for his own sake. He wasn't running for office. He wasn't seeking to garner a following to do a revolution or an insurrection or anything like that. He saw people and responded to their needs for their sake. This is the model that we have at the centre of our unity around Christ. When we gather around Jesus, the way he relates forms and informs the way we relate to one another. And we can see the power of this in, very, in lots of uh, organisations. The, the leader that sets the example, it's not all about the leader, but they set the example. So a school, for example, I'm sure Leanne will testify to this, my sister's a school teacher, others who work in university, when the principal of your uh, educational institution is a good leader, it has an impact on the whole school, the whole institution. If they're not a very good leader, if they don't take the responsibility that is theirs to take or if they're cowardly in some way, if they blame shift and do that, it creates a different kind of environment in the organisation and that has a huge impact on the quality of that experience. You can see it in business. Um, Steve Jobs was an inspirational leader at Apple uh, Computers. You can see the impact the Prime Minister of a country has on the national psyche. So leadership is absolutely critical, but it's not all about the leader. I don't know if that makes sense to you. They have a really important role. They set the tone, they influence everything else, but true leadership never makes it all about the leadership. True leadership is about that being all about everybody because that's what you're doing as a leader. You're leading everybody and we see that in Jesus, I believe. So that's the thing about unity I just wanted to touch on there. And then there's these... John often talks about glory, possibly one of the most um, unclear concepts you could possibly mention, I think. Uh, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word glory. I used to think about things shining really brightly, you know, lots of gold and silver. And the, when you open the treasure chest and it goes, Shing, you know, there's glory, that kind of thing. The core concept of glory is actually weight. So um, when you're sifting the, the, uh, the corn or whatever it is and you throw it up in the air, the heavy bits, which are the actual um, corn, fall down and the, the light bits, the chaff, blows away in the wind. The bits that fall down have the weight. They're the glory bits. Things of substance. 
that don't just change because the weather changes or the opinion polls change or whatever. Glory is substance. It's the really serious stuff that stays for eternity. The Father's glory is seen in his love for his Son. The glory of God is revealed in his love. God is love, John would say in one of his letters. And the love of God, the Father's love for the Son, is this revelation that's the most weighty, substantial, eternal thing in all of creation. This love that goes beyond self. It's a self-giving. It's not power. Glory is not power. We often think, you know, the glory of the United States might be their military might or something. Not with God. It's not power. It's not judgment. It's not being able to stand over and judge. It's not fame. It's not popularity. The glory of God is God's love. God is love. And the Father gives that glory to the Son and the Son comes and loves just like the Father loves. The glory of the Son is seen in the way the Son loves us and all people. Jesus did many wondrous things. He healed people. He turned water into wine. I would have thought that would be pretty high on the glory scales. I'm a bit fond of a bit of wine. Can't drink as much as I used to. But that's not the glory. The glory is why he did that. Whether he healed someone or changed water into wine or spoke to the Pharisees and rebuked them for their attitudes about the law, all that he did, he did because he loved those people. It wasn't about protecting himself. It wasn't about positioning himself in the community so that he could get more stuff or more power. He did it because he loved. That's the glory of the Son. This is a love that was there before the foundations of the world. This is hard for us to understand because we live within the foundations of the world. So stuff that's before the foundations of the world is very strange to us. And I don't think we really get it. I love um, C.S. Lewis's image in the Narnia stories. And um, when Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, goes and brokers a deal with the wicked witch of the... What is she? The white witch. The snowy one. And um, she thinks that she's got Aslan you know, where she wants him because the, the magic says that if somebody has betrayed Aslan, they belong to the witch. And Aslan goes and says, take my life instead of the young boy who made a mistake. And the witch goes, you beauty, I've got you. And they put him on the stone altar and do all that crazy stuff. And then at the middle of the night, the, the altar breaks and Aslan comes alive again. So it's, it's an allegory of, of the resurrection and so forth. And the way that that story depicts it is that there's a deep magic and then there's a deeper magic. A magic that is so strong and so deep it even overcomes that which was seen to be as deep as it could go. And this is the nature of 
God's love seen in Jesus and Jesus' love for us. It is the deepest of all. It's not based on the function of fair exchange. So much of our interaction in our world is based on reciprocal exchange. I'll do this for you, you do that for me, I've got $10 to pay for that, you'll give me this. All those sorts of things, they're exchange values. It's not based on satisfying a set of criteria. This is a standard of behaviour, you live up to that and you're acceptable. We understand those kinds of relationships. This is a love that comes from the heart of the Father, that loves because the heart of the Father is love. And there ain't a darn thing you can do about it. God will keep loving. This is deeper than the foundation of the world. And it's seen in Christ. Now it's Mother's Day today of course, so we could call this the love of a mother. Because mothers do love like this. You know, in varying degrees of success, like fathers in, in our world, you know, we're we have a bits of codependency with our children at times and we're sometimes unwise and all that sort of thing. So sometimes our experience in the family is not as unconditional as we might like it to be. But it echoes that unconditionality that the Father, God, does perfectly. It's the kernel of love. We often need to protect ourselves and we place conditions on our love. God does not protect God's self. God gives and gives and gives even unto death, even unto death on the cross. And the deepest magic of all is that he gives beyond death and rises again. So as I say, Jesus had in mind the fact that he wants other people to know about this love not just those who were around him at the time, but as time goes on, he wants the word to go out. And the unity of the people, the way they love each other, will be absolutely critical in that message going forth because we kind of, you know, it's, it's a good thing to talk about God's love, but if we talk about it and know nothing of it in the way that we relate, we're very vulnerable to that uh, accusation of hypocrisy and Look, I'll put my hand up. I'm often a hypocrite. Uh, I'm very good at acting and sometimes the hard decisions of doing the thing that is truly loving, they elude me somehow. But when we get it, when we know the depth of that love in our being and we offer it to one another, that's the thing. You see, the world does not know God. It doesn't. And I think that's everywhere apparent. The world knows the world's systems, we know dictators, we know uh, economic systems, we know how to make our way, but we don't know God. It's not natural to us. The world is constantly generating gods for itself. Uh, we can't live without gods, and so we generate them. If we were left just to feel the meaninglessness of ourselves, that would be uh, intolerable to us. So we, we do things like generate the sporting team that can carry our hopes. You know, we can go outside ourselves for a moment and have that grand experience of our team winning. Was it Leicester City in the 
Yeah? Wow, those people, they're really living vicariously at the moment through their team. How many of them actually played on the pitch? You know, less than 20, maybe. Maybe there was, there's 11 at the time, but they've got you know, extras as well. But there's thousands of people at the moment living through Leicester City. They've created, momentarily, their God. Political parties, you know, we're, we're about to start, I don't know if the writs have been issued yet, but sometime today probably the starter's gun, as we've been hearing, and we're going to an eight-week election campaign where one team will come out victorious or we'll get a hung parliament and who knows what will happen next. But people will live, they'll live through their political party. People can even live through their church community to some extent. You know, if, the, if the community seems to be really strong and good, your life can be a bit awful, but you can kind of forget about that and live through another group. You can do it through your partner, this kind of thing. We need a story bigger than ourselves. And like all of those things, sporting teams, politics, church community partners, are not bad. They're all good things. It's just that they become less than healthy when we ask those things to sustain our deepest meaning because they can't do that. They then become too important to us in a way and we're using them in a way that they were never designed to be used. And uh, we see when that happens to a person and it becomes more about their needs than what's really going on. So when you need your sporting team to win because life just isn't worth living if they don't, or if your political side has to win because life just gets too difficult if they don't. That's when you've invested too much meaning in that thing. And even with partners, you love your partner, but if that has to go absolutely perfectly for you and meet all your needs, that's a recipe for disaster because your partner's never going to meet all your needs, no matter how good they are. Jesus knows and makes known the Father. He consistently does what he sees his Father doing as acts of love. It's never about his fame, his popularity, his position. Jesus does not seek safety by hiding behind others. He knows the Father. That's where his meaning and purpose comes from. And God is made known through us. As we experience a transforming love, we are transformed. As we are transformed, we do everything in new ways. Now, we don't do it perfectly, we don't do it consistently, but we are moving from one degree of glory to another. As we are loved, as uh, Wesley would have said, we are strangely warmed, our hearts are strangely warmed, we are transformed, we become more open, more able to engage, more able to care for others. And we do things in new ways that are less about what we need and more about noticing other people and caring for them. And people notice this. They may not even know that they notice it, but they notice it and you notice it too. When you're in the presence of someone and that person is more attentive to you and what's going on for you than they are about their own needs, you notice that. You may not know that you're noticing it, but you will, you will have the experience that it was really nice. It was really spacious. It was really good talking to that person because they listened really deeply to you or they attended 
to what you needed at the time. They weren't trying to yabbity 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 tell you all about their things or get you to do what they want you to do. They weren't, weren't pushing their agenda onto you. They were loving you. And we know that. We know when we are loved. It's a powerful, transforming experience. So as we understand how much we are loved, as we enter into that experience, as we are transformed by it and enact it with each other, the world will know. This is supernatural stuff. It's not just what happens everywhere. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us. And it's that love that changes us. It's that love that shows us what love is. We thank you that you called that the way into eternal life. The forgiveness, the grace, the depth of understanding, the honesty, all those things are there. We want to give ourselves to you and then be able to give our lives to one another in love, to the glory of your name. Amen.